Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Please be seated. Those who are going to Little Worship can be dismissed at this time. And if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7. Uh, it's also there in your bulletin if you just want to follow along there. Uh, Luke, chapter, Luke chapter 7. So as we're, we're kind of transitioning here, uh, a quote from Annie Dillard, writer Annie Dillard, uh, she, she wrote, I do not find Christians outside of the catacombs sufficiently sensible of conditions. She says, does anyone have the foggiest idea what sort of power we so blithely invoke? Uh, that means casually, just kind of go through the motions. She, she writes, or as I suspect, does no one believe a word of it? She noted the churches are children playing on the floor with their chemistry sets, mixing up a batch of TNT to kill a Sunday morning. She says, it's madness to wear lady straw or velvet hats to church. We should all be wearing crash helmets. Ushers should issue life preservers and signal flares. They should latch us to our pews. For the sleeping God may wake someday and take offense. Or the waking God may draw us out to where we can never return. Um, of course, I don't know if that's like theologically like solid in every aspect, but, but she's pinpointing an attitude that's particularly present throughout American churches and dare I say even in the Delta. Uh, it's this reality that we can approach God and life in, in a very cavalier way. And, and you know, we can do church because... But that's what all the cool kids do in the South. And, you know, we go through the motions. This is our, our weekly routine. We check the right boxes. And yet, our lifestyles can testify that we don't believe a word of it. Much more follow the Jesus way of holiness. And, and so not only can we stick our heads in the sand and pretend everything, everything's good, but, but we can then turn and then try to build our lives on that sand and as we found two weeks ago, you know, that life can hold for a bit. It's fine. Everything's fine here. It can hold for a bit. You know, th there are seasons in life where that cotton is high and that river's deep. Uh, there are seasons where, well, like this past week, where the Delta Streets boys won the soccer championship, right? I mean, this is awesome. Um, there, when, when C Spire is bringing the fiber into the neighborhood, um, when they finally turn redeeming love into a movie, right? And, and the whole world gets a, a picture of God's never giving up, never letting go love for his people. You know, we have weeks, uh, kind of like this week, where we uh, experience the presence of Delta royalty. You know, we got King Cotton in, in the house this morning, William Patchers. So glad you're here, man. Um, you know, it's fun. You know, we have these, these weeks where it's fun, you know, months where it's just things are good and, and we're tempted to think in those moments that, you know, I think I got this. You know, life is, is smooth sailing, but then it happens, doesn't it? Because it always happens in our fallen world. You know, something jars us out of this cavalier dream. And despite all of our best attempts to forget, something happens and awakens us to the reality that we need God every second. <laughs> 
Like we, we need God every breath. And so we hear like this week of, of wars and rumors of wars. And it gets our attention. In the words of Habakkuk, as it ends, it's times when the fig tree doesn't blossom. And there isn't any fruit on the vine. When the produce of the olive tree fails and the fields yield no food. When the flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. You know, when we're left with the reality of life in this fallen world, what hope do we have then? When all that's stripped away and you're left with that, what hope do you have? Well, in our passage this morning, Jesus takes us to that spot to see what hope we have. And so, so far in Luke's narrative, we've, you know, Jesus has called his disciples. Uh, he gave us this just powerful sermon. We called it, you know, he went down to the seacoast, preached on that level place, preached this powerful sermon. You know, Jesus' stock is on the rise. And last week, Josh preached about what, you know, what faith looks like as a Jesus follower. And yes, it's been challenging, but, but all in all, it's been beautiful and, and the tenor has been very hope-filled. You know, everything's on the rise, but then all that comes to a screeching halt this morning in chapter 7, verse 11, where once again, we're, we're met with this jarring scene of, oh yeah, we live in a fallen world. And yet Jesus chose to use this absolute worst-case scenario, I mean, death, to show us who he is and to show us the hope and life all of those who are in him can have. So with that, let's go there. This is God's word, Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17. Soon afterward, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. And as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had, been die, who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was there. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the briar, and the bearer stood still. And Jesus said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. A fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is God's word. Uh, just three points this morning. Uh, first, the reality of sin. Uh, we, Luke and Jesus wants us to see the reality of sin. But second, he wants to see the reality of Jesus, and then so what? What, what does this mean for us? Reality of sin, reality of Jesus, so what? <clears throat> so first, the reality of sin. You know, there are times in, in life where these things happen, right? Um, there are times in life where um, we see that the great and powerful Oz is just an old man behind the curtain pulling lit levers, right? There, there are these times in life where we see that the emperor has no clothes, well, this morning, for, for those who have ears to hear, God is giving us a, a true glimpse of sin. Like underneath all the makeup, underneath all the curtains, underneath all the beautiful dress, what is sin really? A true glimpse of sin. You know, our world says things like uh, death and decay are normal. 
What did Elton John sing, Lion King? It's, it's the, the circle of life, right? But here we see what we all know deep down to be true is that death is it's not a natural part of God's original creation. But death is a consequence of the fall of sin. And so that's why we say that attending funerals, you know, like when you go to a funeral, that may be the most real thing you do. Because a funeral is detox for our souls because we see, like, in living color, the outcome of sin. You know, we, we see the end game of sin at a funeral. And so there's no other way to say it, right? Like, sin isn't merely, though it is, but it's not merely doing some things that God commanded us not to do. No, no, sin leads to misery and death. Sins in game is misery, death every time. Actually, there isn't a detail in this scene that's not full of misery. Um, Jesus and his disciples, so they just, they're walking, they, they just finished a 25-mile walk from Capernaum to this town called Nain. But as they walked up to this, this new town, uh, they walk up on a funeral procession. There's a funeral going on. And, and so think of the scene, not exactly, but akin to, you know, those jazz funerals that you see in New Orleans you may call them a second line funeral, where there's a you know there's 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 those funerals where there's musicians, there's like a jazz band involved, and the family's up front. Then maybe you see the body, and then at, in the behind all that is what's called the second line, where all the people, all the friends, all the neighbors who want to can come and and parade with uh, or from the the funeral to the cemetery, right? And it's called a, a jazz funeral. Well, well similar to that. Uh, in the time of Jesus, uh, the dead were typically buried outside the city gates and uh, usually on sundown of the same day they died. And so similar to a jazz funeral, they would have employed musicians, you know, playing all sorts of instruments, you know, typically flutes. Uh, there were professional mourners that would have been hired. Uh, these were usually women who wept as, as a, a public expression of communal grief. And then there were the people who carried the body, uh, similar to our pallbearers, but it wasn't a casket that they carried. As verse 14, Luke mentions that they carried the body on a bier, uh, which was more, think of like an open platform slash stretcher situation. That's what they're, they're carrying the body on. And then there were the townspeople in the back who followed all of that, uh, going to the, the graveside. And then up front was the family which in this case makes the scene even more sad because in this, in this scene we find a mother who has been ravaged by the fall all alone. Her husband has seemingly already died and now here she was burying her only son, this young man. And of course there were tons of people around her. I mean, it's a funeral procession, but, but we know how it is. You know, the next morning, the next day, she would wake all alone in the world. You know, she would wake to a new reality of, of hurting and with no one left to provide for her, no one left to protect her. So, so more than anything, she's a picture of what the fall has done to all of us. You know, take away all the things that we prop up our lives and the way we numb ourselves and entertain ourselves. Take all that away. And her reality is of brokenness, of need, and grief. So writer Joe Bailey is a man who, he lost three sons, various ages, but he, he knew this woman's pain 
when he wrote, Of all death, that of your child is most unnatural and hardest to to bear. He said in Carl Jung's words, It is a period placed before the end of the sentence, sometimes when the sentence has hardly begun. He said, you know, we expect the old to die. The separation is always difficult, but it comes as no surprise. But a child, a youth, a young man, life lies ahead with its beauty, its wonder, its potential. He notes, death is a cruel thief when it strikes down the young. The suffering that usually precedes death is another reason childhood death is so hard for parents to bear. Because children were made for fun and laughter, for sunshine, not for pain. And they have a child's heightened consciousness rather than the ability to cope with suffering that comes with maturity. He he notes they also lack the kind amnesia of senility. In a way that is different from any other human relationship, a child is bone of his parents' bone, flesh of their flesh. When a child dies, part of the parent is buried as well. And some of us you know, know that that to be oh so true. Right? And so that is the scene. Like that's the, the vibe of the scene where Jesus approaches. And, and that's the heart ravaged by sin that Jesus walks up on. And yet, in the impossibly painful reality of sin, we also see the reality of our Savior. I, I love this. As J.C. Ryle said, we see that the Prince of Peace is stronger than the King of Terrors, and that though death is mighty, it is not as mighty as the sinner's friend. Amen. Which brings us to our second point, uh, the reality of Jesus. This is who Jesus is. Several things here. You know, first, you know, we, we read these verses throughout the, the Bible uh, that uh, God is near to the brokenhearted, that God cares, that, that God lifts up our heads, and we wonder, is it really true? Like, will God really come through for his people in the hard? Well, notice Jesus' posture towards this woman here, because I would say she qualifies as a pretty good case study uh, for brokenness. Verse 13, and Jesus saw this woman. He had compassion on her. And Jesus said, do not weep. Uh, do not weep. Not to get too deep in the weeds and nerd out on the linguistics of this, but but Luke uses the strongest Greek word possible to describe Jesus' heart towards this woman. Um, It it describes an emotion that that has a physical effect. It it just kind of comes out. Um, It was the same way when Jesus walked up on Mary and Martha after Lazarus died. Remember, to describe Jesus' response, John (laughs) invoked this, he used this ancient word that was used to describe how a horse snorts. Those of you who have horses know they can kind of do this this thing, right? Um, So growing up, I've probably shared this, but there's tons more just horrible stories about my childhood, but... Um, growing up, often when I did something I shouldn't do on the farm, like accidentally leave the cattle gate open or crash the dump wagon into the dairy barn, um, these sounds would just kind of involuntarily come out of my granddad, and probably y'all have heard these from your grandparents or parents. It's these, these sounds. It's, it's usually like something like this, uh, 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 rich. And you can say rich at the end, you yeah. 
You know, these sounds just kind of involuntarily come out when you see something that you just don't like. Uh, uh, uh. Okay, when Jesus sees his people brokenhearted, it's like an involuntary horse snort, or my granddad. Um, but what comes out is compassion. It just comes out. You know, we, we can hear Jesus' heart to his people here. But, but second, we also see his sovereignty, right? As Psalm 68 tells us that, that God is the protector of the widow. And as that, Jesus didn't wait to ask if it was okay if he helped. You know, like Jesus, I mean, there was no consent given before he helped this lady. Um, no, as God, he took the initiative and he sovereignly stepped in and he met her where she was. And, and Westminster, what a huge reminder of the gospel which we need all the time. Uh, if God was waiting for us to accept Him into our hearts before He had compassion on us and saved us, no one would get saved, right? Because the gospel tells us that, that God draws near to His people before we seek Him. He doesn't wait for us to have this great feeling about God. No, while we were still sinners, Scripture tells us, Christ acted Christ died for the ungodly, which means like we didn't want it, we didn't deserve it, nor did we seek it. But in Jesus, God freely and graciously gave it to us. And He gives it, and will continue to give. So we see His sovereignty. Uh, Jesus told her, do not weep. Uh, not because you know, He wanted to, you, know, you need to stop crying. Not because He wanted to suppress her emotions, but because he was giving her a hint that he was about to take her tears away. You know, in compassion, Jesus walked up to the stretcher and he touched it, which, by the way, was a huge no-no. Uh, because, you know, touching a dead body or just this being around this dead situation would have deemed you ceremonially unclean, and no rabbi would dare do that. But with Jesus, with God in the flesh for the first time in forever... It worked the other way. Instead of him getting unclean by touching death, we, we see that we, we find one who came to take death on himself to give us life. You know, to, to take our sin on himself on the cross so that we could receive his righteousness. Jesus is showing us that he is not only the one the entire Old Testament is pointing to, but he's also the one that all of human history has been waiting for. And so the, the Hebrews who were present at this funeral would have been struck, surely, with a sense of deja vu, right? Because something like this has happened before. It's what John read for us this morning with the prophet Elijah, and it happened centuries prior. Um, but there was a major difference. You know, as John read that passage this morning, he realized that when Elijah, he, Elijah went through this whole process of trying to raise his kid, you know, he took him up to his upper room. He stretched out over him a couple times. He cried out to the Lord. All these things. But notice the power of Jesus. He didn't have to do anything. Like God at creation, all Jesus did was speak. All he did was say the word. And the young man responded. He said, young man, I say to you, arise. Uh, verse 15, and the dead man sat up and began to talk. <laughs> And notice it wasn't just like a faint heartbeat. Like he just kind of resuscitated him. It wasn't a faint heartbeat. No, this man went from like, he's about to be buried in a tomb. 
He went from that to having a conversation. J.C. Ryle said, In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the heart, the lungs, the brain, the senses, everything was like new. Okay. Like I, I'm not a, a physician, so I, I, don't, I, mean, I don't know all that's involved and how long the brain doesn't have oxygen and how impossible this is, right? But what Luke is showing us is that Jesus' power here is so over the top. I mean, that we can't just, like, you can't ignore this story, right? You, you can't just kind of dilly-dally by it. No, no, something this extreme, it, it forces the question, like, do you believe this? Like, do you believe that Jesus has this kind of power? Because if you do, well, that changes some things, doesn't it? It changes everything. I mean, this is the power of God unto salvation. And so even Sigmund Freud knew that you had to deal with this. Like, you can't just ignore this. You had to deal with this. And so he, of course, he's atheist. He skeptically declared that miracles in the Gospels contradict everything that has been taught by sober observation, and it betrays too clearly the influence of the activity of the human imagination. The authors are just using their imagination. In other words, one of the biggest skeptics of all time saw that Jesus' power right here was so extravagant that it had to be made up. And you know, he would have, had, he would have a pretty good point Except he forgot what we learned in our first sermon on Luke, if you remember that you may be certain, um, that, that Luke wasn't the type of person that was given to the imagination. You know, I don't see Luke being a good creative writer. Uh, no, Luke was a careful historian who stuck to the facts and recorded eyewitness testimony. And, and so really, there are your options that you're left with this morning. You know, either Jesus' power is total bogus, going with your life, just to, it's, it's total bogus, or it is the greatest power the world will ever know. You don't have any other options. Well, the people who witnessed this event, they, they seem to know the answer to what they just saw because they responded the same way everyone who comes into contact with the living God does. <laughs> they were undone. Verse 16 it says, fear seized them all, and they glorified, that is, they ascribed worth to God, saying, God is here. So having experienced the reality of Jesus' power, life as they knew it was over, like, how do, you, how do you walk on from something like that? They couldn't contain it, they just had to share it, which brings us to our last point. All right, so what? What, what, like, what does this mean for us today? There's an old story, many of you probably have heard this, an old legend about a merchant uh, in Baghdad who one day the merchant sent one of his workers uh, out to the market, but before long the worker came back white and trembling and filled with anxious fear. He said to his boss, down in the marketplace, a woman bumped into me in the crowd and I turned around and saw that it was death that bumped into me. And he said, she looked at me and made a threatening gesture. Boss, please lend me your horse, for I have to get away from her. I'm going to ride to Samara, and there I will hide, and death will not find me there. So the merchant, kind of alarmed, he, he lent his worker his horse, and the worker quickly galloped away, making a beeline to Samara. Well, later that day, 
the merchant, well, he's got to go to the market. So the merchant walked down to the marketplace, and he too saw death standing in the crowd. And so he went over to death and, and asked, he said, why did you scare my worker this morning? Why did you make a threatening gesture to him? Death said, that was not a threatening gesture. It was only a startled surprise. She said, I was astonished to see him in Baghdad because, see, I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. And I guess this is the point of that legend and the, really the point of our passage. Every one of us has an appointment in Samara, so to speak, right? As Scripture says, it's appointed to man, you could say it's appointed to woman, to die once and then face judgment. And so in the passage, we, we see our future. We see that this is where sin leads. And yet at the same time, if you are in Christ, you don't need to fear death because this young man is also a, a picture of our beautiful future. That when, when Jesus gave this young man to his mother, it's a picture of the reunion that all believers of Christ will have in the new heavens and the new earth. If you're trusting in Jesus, the powerful Savior, He promised that an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out. And so if you're resting in Jesus, George Herbert said, death used to be an executioner, but for you in Christ, the gospel has made death just a gardener. It's just a gardener. So one day, every one of us who are in Him will hear his voice like this man. And he'll say, get up, right? Get up, Watson. Uh, get up, David Costco. Get up, Deveda. Get up, Sophie. Get up. It's resurrection morning. And in the twinkle of an eye, just like this man, as Paul says, our weak bodies will be transformed and made new like his glorious body. So if you're in Christ, that's your future. Death has been defeated. It has been arrested. All right, so that's, that's our future. We can hope in that, right? But, but second, all right, what about like today, like right now? Well, two things. First, what Jesus did with this woman's grief is a picture of what he does with ours. You know, notice his heart towards this woman. Uh, like, I, I know there are times where you feel all alone, but he runs to the brokenhearted, and Jesus cares. And on the cross, we know that, that he bore our sorrows and griefs so that one day they can give way to joy. And so, you, you really can lay down your worries. Like, you really can. I, I know our role says don't do that. That's so stupid. But you really can because Jesus cares, you really can trust Him. Okay? And then second, at least for today, this is an invitation to follow the Jesus way in this life, calling sin what it really is. Like you've seen behind the curtain this morning. There is no excuse. So, so Jesus has shown us what's underneath the, the, the makeup of, of sin, and it ain't, it ain't that pretty. So instead of loving sin, instead of playing with sin and excusing sin and laughing at sin and or accepting sin, like Jesus calls us to mourn it. 
You know, to, to hate it and then to kill it with like deadly hatred. Because as J.C. Ryle reminds us, sin is not those pesky Democrats or those uptight Republicans. It, it, it's, it's, not, it, it's sin, not, not climate change. But it's sin is the root and, and the, the foundation and root cause of all sickness, pain, infirmity, poverty, and trouble. He says, from one side of the world to the other, the history of families is full of lamentation, weeping, mourning, and woe because of sin. And so please see this, because this I, I know it sounds like y'all, I'm getting into like preacher talk right now, but pursuing holiness isn't about being a little goody two-shoes and being a really nice person. No, no, pursuing holiness is about hating death and misery. You hate death and misery and pursuing God's design for human flourishing. So Westminster, if the Spirit has wooed you to experience the saving power of Jesus, if you've tasted the undeserved love of God, then like these people, or life as you know it is over. We who were once dead in our trespasses and sin, like this man, are made alive. And now we spend what days we have worshiping, and talking about our powerful Savior. So this morning is an invitation to come to Him, to that power. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank You for the tremendous, powerful love, grace, mercy that You bestow on us. Um, Father, as we walk through this this wilderness that is this fallen life. Uh, Lord, remind us that Jesus is with us, that He cares, that He makes a beeline to the brokenness, that He died. Lord, to take our sin, to give us righteousness, to fill us with hope. And Lord, no matter what happens to us in, in this life, we have a beautiful future in Him. So Father, remind us of the power. Uh, may we not just like dilly-dally, play patty cake with our sin, Cause us to hate it and to flee it and to run to you and to follow you all the days of our life. So Lord, give us a passion for your holiness. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.